podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, where we bring you business ideas from proven founders. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guest would take to get started. We are your hosts, Chris, Justin, and Ethan Janney. And on today's show, we have Dmitry Dragulev. He's the founder of Just Reach Out, a platform which has helped 5,000 plus brands and small businesses pitch journalists and get featured in press all on their own without the help of PR firms. And that is super impressive, but that is not what we're going to be talking about here, at least not primarily. Dmitry, our show is all about new business ideas. You've got one to improve the recycling process, actual recycling, keeping recyclables out of landfills. Welcome to the show and tell us about the idea you would like our listeners to run with. Yeah. So I want to build a company that actually does real recycling of products. Well, um, since China stopped taking our recycling we have not been actually recycling in this country. We've been throwing it into landfills. So when we go through the trouble of putting it in all these different bins and get it all collected and we feel good about it, 80% of that actually goes right in the landfill. And so I want to build a company that takes some of these things that can be recycled, plastic, maybe paper, and creates materials for other companies to use. So there's companies out there like Allbirds and stuff like that that they use recycled materials to build their products. Uh, but we are not recycling as a nation. So this is, uh, this is one of the bigger ideas that we've had on the show in terms of, of scope and ambition, for sure. It's not only changing a lot of the infrastructure within the United States, but it's changing the the habits of pretty much everyone in order for it to be effective and doing so in a very low margin environment. It sounds like a, a recipe for a very difficult business to start. Can you talk more about that? I heard an episode in 2019 on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, where she interviewed Kate O'Neill, who is uh, environmental scientist and who wrote a book called Waste. And she openly talked about the problem that when China said, we no longer are going to take your recycling. Up until that point, we were reliant on Asia processing our stuff. So they would process it and they'll create more stuff that we'd buy from them. And it would just go around, around, around. When that was broken, we tried to put trash like Malaysia, Vietnam, some of these other countries, but we just couldn't. The countries said, we're not going to take your stuff anymore. But we, on a major scale, just don't know how to make money with it. And I've read articles in Fast Company and uh, where there are these small shops that, you know, they'll they'll go and they'll collect trash like plastic on on the ocean they'll make sunglasses out of it or something but these are kind of like or surfboards out of plastic in the ocean like i've seen 
So these are just like like one-off things, though. That is kind of your comment. Like it's just a here and there thing, you know. Maybe it's maybe it's Tom's shoes or something or whatever, and and they're and they're pulling it off. But so okay, if if a small player can do it and it and it's working, then you know what's going on 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 the larger scale. I could be a huge wet blanket here on the whole thing, having pursued eco-friendly business type projects many years ago. I attempted to start a company that was around compost collection in the city of New York. And so, well, I'll tell you one thing. I have so much respect for anyone who maintains momentum in these environmentally friendly business pursuits, be it Elon Musk or you know your local person who's involved in government uh, compost collection projects. So, what I found is they're, they could be really exciting to start ideas like this because you have this feeling like I'm going to save the planet. And then it can be conversely that much more disappointing and just like crushing when you go, oh my gosh, this is a huge problem. Nobody else is on board. Uh, I've got a lot of red tape to fight through. There's a lot of things to restructure. So I'm sure you've had obstacles even with your PR business because I think there's something that's glaring for me right now. You are so incredibly chill. So I, I noticed that. <laughs> also noticed that you know you're you're very successful in in the, what you've built, and you're working in PR, which I think, whoa, that would take the, one of those kind of like, hey, everybody, this is what I got to talk about. You know, gonna, a one and a two and a three, and you know, like a lot of people <laughs> think about uh, marketing and sort of reaching out and promoting as things that kind of you got to kind of go over the top. And I noticed I'm very struck by the fact that you're kind of alternatively chill. And I'm wondering how that, do you have an opinion or maybe we can reflect on an opinion on how that fits into staying the course on a project or, or something that you're interested in promoting. You know, you're not coming across as this like grit, in, intense guy, but somehow you do have the grit. Do you have any comments on that self-reflective? I don't know if you're even aware of it. I'm just very quiet, I guess, because I came to this country when I was like 11. I didn't know the language or the culture and everything was foreign to me until college. So for like seven years, I was this like quiet, lonely, kind of like loner <laughs> that like didn't have friends, was just like thought everything was weird in this country or this culture. I was like, just like I missed all the the movies the cultural like things like i i think my first halloween my only halloween was at the age of 13 when my grandmother made me a costume of a witch which i didn't want to wear and i was like that is ridiculous why are they passing out candy like that was my life for a while so it was very quiet like trying to absorb how to act what to do how to say things to people and then I was a computer science major, so that didn't really make me much of a communicator or anything. <laughs> and then when I, I left that career and I went to California, I had to learn, like I wanted to learn business. So I, I got an MBA and started working for startups. And I kind of have to like force myself to really become a little bit more communicative and um, extroverted. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And it sounds like maybe just from the very fact that you've had to study uh, that kind of communication because it didn't feel natural, especially in this country, that because you made a study of it, you're you're become more of an expert in it. So that that's a nice tangent. But 
that sets us up for why you're tackling, why you chose to share this idea with the audience. It is a very big idea. And there are a lot of questions that we need to answer. One thing that has always irked me is the transportation costs of recycling in itself. The fact that if you were doing a centralized system, you need to collect materials at everyone's home and then bring it to a, uh, a recycling processing facility. I, I know trash trucks, garbage trucks, their mileage is two miles per gallon. So it's a very inefficient process to transport all this material. I wonder if there's something that we can do that would make it easier for people to recycle at home. And it's not going to be every stream of recycling. Maybe you can only do compostable materials, or maybe you can only do certain types of plastics or glass, but something that... I wonder if a decentralized approach would be more accessible in that it wouldn't come with the transportation costs. Transportation is a big issue of it, right? And then also what happens after? After we compress it, we have a pallet of plastic. How can we take that pallet of plastic and at scale sell it to someone who is going to make more money out of it? Well, I'll, I'll jump in here. I have a little bit of, of uh, background in this and, and connections. Before I get to that, someone also needs to sort it. So part of the reason we were sending material all to China is because you could pay someone $2 a day to sort your recyclables and toss the stuff that's you know, the grease-laden pizza boxes that uh, that can cause the entire stream to be adulterated and, and need to go to the trash. Uh, someone can be paid feasibly, at least in that economy, to do that work. And you can't do that here. Even the transportation cost to send it to China, plus the cost of, of labor there, it made financial sense. Now with, I'm speculating a little bit here, but with China's economy improving and the overall you know, income rising for people there, it probably doesn't make as much sense. In terms of the processing for, let's say, that pallet of plastic, I know that Shell, my former company, they are taking plastic streams like that and uh, gasifying it and processing it in plastic plants, recycling it as feedstock for base plastics that they're making. So that is that's one opportunity. That's it's hard to scale any single one of these solutions, right? And that's why I come back to this idea that it needs to be we need to stack a bunch of decentralized solutions in order to to do this well. It's not as sexy to come up with something like that. It's it's a lot easier to think of. We can take this entire stream and send it to one place and just profitably process everything. But I think that's extremely unlikely. When I was building Just Reach Out very early on, you know, like it was the idea of, hey, let's create, let's find somebody who's going to pay for this. Let's build something for them and let's see how they're going to use it. And let's find another person who's going to use this PR machine. Let's find another one. Let's all see how they're going to use it. And based on that, decide what the product would be and improve it based on that feedback initially. And so you take the feedback from the customer to continue building the tool. And I never built a wrote line of code. I have a, because I used to just put stuff on the paper, show it to them, get them to buy into the idea by getting feedback from them redraw my little diagram, show them how the product is going to work and keep doing that over and over and over again. So 
by the time I was launching my MVP, I had customers that are going to use this thing because they were invested in it because of the feedback. So with the recycling, maybe it makes sense taking Shell as an example and lining up one case where you go to your local dump, you say, I want to buy your recycling, like this much tons of this um, plastic that you get and trying to line up a deal with Shell to resell it just to see if you can line up three of these opportunities or something just to see if there is money to be made for collecting, recycling and reselling it to people who are already in need of it or need to use it and what kind of processing needs to happen for them to buy it if there is any just to see if the economics make sense and at this point not physically doing it but just researching it enough to figure out can you make any kind of profit on it yeah that's a good action step of just finding out who will pay for plastic you know whether it's you know before it's in basically before it's been recycled right like recyclable plastic find make a list of companies that market themselves as using recycled materials and then go find out what the supply chain process is at some point they're going to have to pay for materials just like anybody else has to pay for raw materials uh, whether they're recycled or not and at that point what is the price point how are they making that decision to choose recycled versus non-recycled and then how much does it cost i'll also be interested to compare the recycled non-recycled price who knows, someplace, times maybe it's actually less expensive. Or if it isn't, how? what's the price differential? And how can you sell people recycled instead of... Like, I could see how you could create a business selling people on using recycled materials if you understand what is the... If there's a profit incentive for using recycled materials over non-recycled. Oh, you could put this on your label and then you could mark up the price by XYZ. So it doesn't matter. Go for it. Most of what goes to a landfill is dirty, dirty recycling. It's stuff that's contaminated with food, things that are too costly to separate and clean and process. It, it all comes back to the to the economics. And I think that would be a good action step for the listeners to investigate the economics of current recycling streams. All of this is available on the EPA website, collection cost, how much the streams are are valued at. And you can do what back as a process engineer, we call the process flow diagram, where you have the stream coming in, how much does it cost to acquire that stream? How much does it cost to, to separate it, process it? And how much of, are each of those outputs worth? And you can calculate from there whether the economics will will make sense. To me, that's a first step. And if they don't make sense uh, with the current systems in place, then at least you can start honing in on some of the individual processes that are involved, whether that's the collection, uh, the sorting, maybe there is some sort of behavior that you can change with people to to change from single stream recycling to to multi-stream recycling. That's a big thing that's... Uh, you know what's uh, what I am keep thinking about? A couple of things. One is the whole idea of first, second, third, fourth order consequences, right? What's going on, I think, when we say that something's not profitable, especially in the United States economy, is most of our profitability is around first order consequences. You know, like, I'm going to buy this. It's going to make me happy right now. Perfect. Oh, it's going to kill my children someday. 
fine. You know, it's just first order consequences. This is kind of how our economy runs. So I think a lot of, at least in the, what are we, Western economy, what we tend to do as entrepreneurs is try try to bring these third order consequences if we're trying to do good. We try to bring these third order consequences into the first order, you know, whether it's, you know, marketing toothpaste uh, to people based on it feeling fresh in their mouth so that they actually brush their teeth and their teeth don't fall out. You know, you take something that that's a third order consequence and make it into a first order thing where it's more about your vanity and a fresh feeling in your mouth. And just the one thing I wanted to bring up here, which is interesting to note, uh, that is kind of like a win-win in Peter, Peter Diamandis's book, um, on abundance. Uh, he mentions this idea that's, it's similar to me, uh, serving the African cell phone market, right? It's not appealing because people don't have the budget. People don't have the budget to pay a lot for a cell phone, but he makes this interesting point, but there is the scale. And so, even though the individuals don't have a large budget, if you can serve a high volume of individuals, you're actually looking at a, maybe even a bigger market and more profitability than you originally would have thought. So, I don't know if this is the case with recycling, but it sounded to me like a similar kind of setup. It's a big third order consequence where you want to serve it. There's a first order resistance, but maybe there's a way of thinking uh, on a bigger scale. I mean, maybe in order to handle recycling, it is a thing where you have to do it on a really, really large scale. And if you think about doing it that way, maybe then it becomes more profitable. Um, just trying to throw in w ways to think about how to make it make it profitable. Yeah. You know, like there's a, a browser called Brave that I use. I don't use Chrome or Safari or anything. And it's uh, the guy from Mozilla started it. He was sick and tired of Google tracking you everywhere and all these scripts and ads and stuff. And so any kind of ads that people run through it, they have to go through the Brave browser only. And 70% of the revenues, a portion of percentage of that revenues goes to you as a person using the browser. And so you get this ding every day, like, oh, you've made a dollar twenty dollar fifty or something. And tomorrow you make 75 cents. But it has this feel-good effect. You're like, oh, like I'm browsing faster. I'm not seeing ads and I'm making a little money. And uh, and you know that people who are running ads, the, the browser doesn't keep anything for themselves. It just, they just, they run and they share the profits with the people browsing it. So I was like... I think I've got an interesting angle here, right? Maybe it's the opposite of what you're saying with Brave Browser. So Brave Browser is a situation where your privacy is, you know, like a huge factor. But what if you enlisted those people that were like the vigilant recyclers and you had actual recycling bins that would be placed around around cities, like actual recycling. And in order to throw something into it, you actually had to scan your tag and you had to on your on your honor be like, I'm contributing to this, meaning I vow that it's going to be clean. I'm going to choose the right materials. Nobody's going to have to sort it, whatever, because there are people that take it that seriously, right? And and then by being a part of the system and tracking you individually, maybe you get points or credits, or maybe you even earn some income or something like that. But in those cases, you can take advantage of the people that are really passionate about it and are going to do it right, not being mixed in with the people who, you know, just don't have it right yet.
from a PR standpoint, I see it as a story like, hey, locally, do you want to make a difference? It just comes back from like the cost perspective, like distributing the bins, collecting them, then compressing everything and then selling it. Can you make a buck on it? I could see a bootstrapped way of doing it in a local community. Now that we're saying like this type of idea, it could be a small neighborhood in Brooklyn. It could be my local suburb and just talk with the local government, maybe um, try to sign some community members on board, distribute some of these bins throughout the community. And maybe, you know, you get a little, uh, what do you call it? A fob. Only if you have the fob, those are pretty inexpensive. It opens the bin, you throw something in and it tracks who put it in, maybe it even measures the weight that you put in, gives you a little, and you do, and you, I bet you, you could even find some do good funding, right? Like just some people who are like, this is a pretty interesting idea. Like I'll put, I'll put 50K for you to, you know, get a few of these bins together, put them in, provide you some credits just to see, would this have legs? Would this have legs? But I, I think one benefit you have with this type of idea is the PR side of it. So you could start out without profitability getting some funding from people who really care to try to make a difference. I should mention at this point, we have another similar episode where we interviewed Anders Ankerlid. To the listener, go check that out. It's episode number 52, Recycle More E-Waste. Uh, this one is a little bit broader, but it's a nice compliment to, to the discussion we're having here. Take some action. Follow through on the steps that we've talked about here. Email us at update at runwithit.fm with what you have done as a result of this conversation. Everyone who does respond will get access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one lucky listener will earn a free mentoring session with Dimitri and potentially a business partnership on this idea. Dimitri, where can listeners go to learn more about what you're doing? Uh, two sites. So just reach out.io. That's my uh, PR tool where you just pitch journalists on your own without PR firms. So just reach out.io. And then I got my personal blog. That's criminallyprolific.com, criminallyprolific.com. Great. We'll include all that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dimitri. Enjoy the conversation. And to the listener out there, go take this idea and run with it. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.